Okay, we are in a sermon series on Daniel, and this morning we come to one of the more important, uh, I think, chapters of the entire book. And I will bet you none of you heard a children's lesson on this when you were growing up. Like, none of you had a little felt board with a picture of a king going insane and living in the wilderness on it. Like, that never happened in your children's stories. It's not as easy of a children's story to tell, and because of that, we don't think of this chapter as being as significant. But if you look at the story being told in, in Daniel... This is a huge turning point in the story, and I think it's significant for us to understand why the book of Daniel is in the Bible and what it has to tell us. Uh, and so to catch everyone up, here's where we are historically. Um, this, the, the story is set in the Babylonian Empire when the people of God were in exile, meaning that uh, God's people um, had inherited the promised land and they were living in a promised land as a part of their covenant. But when they broke the covenant, they got kicked out of the promised land. They, um, they were in, set in exile. And in exile, uh, the, the first, the northern kingdom was exiled into Assyria. And then second, the southern kingdom was exiled into Babylon. And that's the story that we're hearing. And the first wave of that exile was the king came in and took some of the children of the nobility to raise in the Babylonian court and to basically make them Babylonian. And that's the story that we've been hearing these last several weeks. So um, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah were all given Babylonian names, raised in the Babylonian court, but they determined in their heart of hearts to to stay faithful to God. And so the story that we've been hearing this whole several chapters, what, three weeks, four weeks so far, is the story of these four young men living in enemy territory and what God was doing through them and for them. And so the, the subtitle of the whole series has been in enemy territory because for quite literally, they were young men from Israel living in Babylon. But symbolically, this book has been used over thousands of years to talk about what it, what it is like for people of faith to live in a land where, where overwhelmingly um, it is not people of faith, right? So people of faith to live covertly around people who are not, um, who are not believers, who are not faithful, uh, for people of faith to live in enemy territory. And so what we've been talking about as we've gone along is we've drawn different lessons from that first lesson about the eating vegetables um, into the second lesson about the interpreting dreams. And then we hit the fiery furnace last week, which was super fun. If you missed any of those, go listen to them. But this is where we hit a turning point because here is where the story of Nebuchadnezzar comes to a climax. Nebuchadnezzar was the king who had taken these young men. He was the most powerful king on the face of the earth at that time. And last week we heard a story, or two weeks ago we heard a story of how God sent him a dream that warned him he, is, he was the most powerful king at that time, but he would not be forever, that there were going to be four more kingdoms, and then the kingdom of God would come. And his reaction to that, hearing that news, um, was instead of praising God and said to build himself build a statue of himself to even try to build himself up grander than he actually was. And so this morning, we come to a huge turning point in the story. And I'm going to start reading some of this for you because I want you to hear what's different. Chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages. Hang on. That dwell upon the earth... Peace be multiplied to you. It seemed good to me to show you the signs and wonders that the Most High God has wrought toward me. What, what's different about this? 
the perspective has changed, right? So now all of a sudden it's not third person talking about Daniel, it's first person. We have the word I in here, and the I, stunningly, is Nebuchadnezzar. Um, whatever we're going to make of this historically, like, what is this doing in the chapter? Why do we all of a sudden switch to the first person written by Nebuchadnezzar himself in the chapter? This is the next part. It seemed good to me to show you the signs and wonders that the Most High God has wrought toward me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. Now that's weird because that's Nebuchadnezzar giving praise to the gods of Israel, which makes you think there has been a change from the last chapter to this, this chapter. So what is it that's happened? Well, he's going to tell us, and this is the story. And so now he, he dips into, into past tense. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my palace and prospering in my palace. I had a dream which made me afraid. As I lay in the bed, fancies of visions of my head, and alarm, uh, which made me afraid as I lay in my bed, the fancies and visions of my head alarm, alarmed me. So he has another dream. He calls for all of his wise men, all of his sorcerers, everyone to come and interpret. And they can't. And so then he calls for Daniel. And Daniel comes and he tells him the dream. And this is what Daniel says. Well, he says to Daniel, I know that you have the spirit of the holy gods, which tells you at this point that he is not yet uh, faithful to the God of Israel because he sees in Daniel, he says Daniel basically is a magician, right? Um, you can do cool things. You must be magic. You must have all the gods in you. Um, and Daniel, and so he tells Daniel the dream. And he tells them the dream, and the dream is basically of this tree growing, and it's strong, and then it gets cut down. And Daniel, when he hears the dream, was dismayed. So if you're keeping up, this is verse 19, was dismayed, and his thoughts alarmed him. And the king says, Belteshazzar, which is his Babylonian name, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. And Belteshazzar answered, my lord... May the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to the heaven, and it was visible to the end of the earth, whose leaves were fair and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the bird, birds of the air dwelt. It is you, O king, you have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of the roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field and let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his lot be with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon the Lord my King, that you shall be driven from among men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. You shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven times will pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be sure for you from the time that you know that king of heaven rules. 
And so that was the interpretation, which was basically, okay, Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> you are going to lose everything. You're going to be driven from your sanity, driven from your kingdom. You're going to wander in the wilderness. You're going to eat grass. You're going to be covered in rain. You're going to live in the wilderness until you come to accept that God is king. And so now we switch back to Daniel's voice talking to the king because he's just given this interpretation. And then he's, this is his advice. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness. Break off your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your tranquility. And so what's happening is Daniel has received this, this message from the king. Daniel gives this interpretation, which is obviously terrible for the king personally. And remember, Nebuchadnezzar is not exactly of sound mind. And so Daniel is probably a bit nervous giving the bad news. And what he says is this, is look, if God has given you a dream, then maybe there's still time to do something. And so now's your chance. Stop. Now, listen to what he says. Stop practicing iniquity. And there's two things by doing righteousness and by showing mercy to the oppressed. Did you notice that? Um, the way that he's calling uh, Nebuchadnezzar to turn to God is, first of all, by doing righteousness within his own person, so worshiping the one true God, but second of all, by acknowledging, by doing justly to the oppressed, which is fascinating to me. Um, Daniel standing before the, the king of the Babylonian empire, the most powerful empire in the world at that time, saying, look, if you want to get right with God, you have to notice the poor people, right? You have to stop trampling upon the oppressed, and you have to be righteous within yourself. You've still got a chance, which harkens back to the covenant, right? So there's so many times in the covenant where God is saying, if you want to keep covenant with me, you need to take care of the poor, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, the slave, anyone among you who is, um, who is needy, you have to take care of them. That's how you keep your relationship strong with me. It harkens forward to the New Testament where God says, uh, where Jesus says, if you want to do it to me, do it unto the least of these. And it's just fascinating to me that comes up again in Daniel. So if you want to repent, first of all, repent within yourself, worship God, and second of all, repent in your actions by doing justly by the oppressed. And so he pleads with the king, if God has sent you a dream, then maybe there's still time. You can change. Okay, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Now listen to this next line. At the end of 12 months, he had a year. He had a whole year after that dream, a whole year to do something. And this is what he says. At the end of that 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king said, is not this the great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Does that sound like he has learned anything? No. Not only is that in the first person, it is declaring himself his own king, declaring himself his own God, taking responsibility himself for that which is actually a gift of God. One of the themes in this whole book is that power and authority and wealth and all of that comes from God. And when you think you did it yourself, you start treading in God's territory. And so standing up and saying, look at what I have, what I have built for myself, what I have gained for myself is, in, in the book of Daniel, kind of blasphemous. 
because it's God who did it. It's God who did it. It's God who raised up Daniel on the court. It's God who could take Daniel down from the court. It's God who protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's God who could have let them burn the fiery furnace. It is God who raised Nebuchadnezzar, and it is God who can take down Nebuchadnezzar. And so after 12 months of, after having gotten this warning, and Nebuchadnezzar has done nothing to show that he has any intention of heeding the warning, the warning comes true. And this is verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven times shall pass over you until you've learned that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and and gives it to who he will. And immediately the word was fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men. He ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Okay, there's more to the chapter. I'm going to pause here. Because I want to ask with you the question, if the book is called Daniel, why are we hearing so much about Nebuchadnezzar? Right? We have actually heard more about Nebuchadnezzar at this point than we have about Daniel. And now we're hearing directly from Nebuchadnezzar, which we have not to this point about Daniel. And I think the reason is this. The whole, the, so the subtitle of the, of the series was Daniel living in enemy territory. And I think what we learn from the book of Daniel is when the people of faith are sent into enemy territory, it's not just to protect the people of faith. Like God can do that pretty easily. If the people of faith are sent into enemy territory, it's so that God can get to the enemies, right? It's so that God can actually connect with, speak with, send an ambassador to, send a message to. God could have put his people anywhere. He could have kept them isolated in Israel. And instead, he took these four young men. He allowed them to be taken to Babylon because he wanted someone to talk to the king of Babylon, We forget this. We spend so much time thinking about ourselves, our own story, what God is doing for us, that we forget that God's primary role in the people of faith is using the people of faith to reach others. And most of what God does in your story will be using you to reach the people around you that he is trying to reach. And this whole thing, this whole whole book so far, has been functioning around God's messages to the king of Babylon. Now let's unpack those. What's God been doing to the king of Babylon? God has been knocking out the door, sending him dreams, sending him ambassadors, sending him proof of his, of his, of his power. Really? Right? God has been sending him miracles, sending him proof, sending him all of these signs that I know you think you're God, but in fact you are not. And those miracles have been building and building and building and building. And now, finally, he gets one final dream as a warning. And this warning is, look, I know you think you're God, but you're not. And if you don't acknowledge it, you are going to lose everything for a period of time until you do. And he has 12 months, and he does not acknowledge it. And sure enough, he loses everything. And when we say everything, we mean everything. So there is everything. When you say I lost everything, you could mean I lost my bank account. You could mean I lost my home. You could mean I lost my family. You could mean I lost my health. You could mean I lost my sanity. And Nebuchadnezzar loses all of them. All of them. 
It is the utmost of losing everything to lose your grasp on reality, right? And to live in the wilderness, to, to functionally go insane, to live in the wilderness and to be driven away from everything that you call your. I mean, the only way that the, the guard would have allowed him out of the castle if he'd been insane, right? Like if, if he'd been in his right mind, people could have gotten him back, but he was driven out into the wilderness. As rock bottom goes, this is pretty well rock bottom, right? And yet, and yet God could have easily pronounced a death sentence on him and he doesn't. Why? Friends, here's my read. God did not, in this case, bring Nebuchadnezzar to rock bottom simply as a means of punishment, although Nebuchadnezzar certainly deserved punishment. God brought Nebuchadnezzar to rock bottom because God still saw hope for change. God was still actually trying to change him God was still trying to get in touch with him, and nothing that he had done had worked so far. And so God resorts to this extreme measure because he still thinks it's possible that Nebuchadnezzar could turn and that Nebuchadnezzar could change. You know, there's a whole lot we could unpack there. There's a whole lot we could unpack there. And at the very least, I think we can unpack this. I, I am not going to go as far. I, I said this a couple weeks ago. I, in this case, it does look like God did this directly to the king of Babylon. I don't go around people's lives and say, God made you lose your job. I don't, I don't feel theologically comfortable doing that. But I'll tell you what. I have seen God allow people to hit rock bottom before because they needed to because there was something in their heart that needed breaking and it wasn't breaking any other way. Because there was something in their priorities that needed rearranging and it wasn't rearranging any other way. Because there was something in their life that was toxic and it wasn't getting out. And I have seen God allow people to hit rock bottom, not without trying to get to them in the meantime, in the, one of my previous churches, we worked very closely with an addiction center, and I heard so many testimonies of men who said that they, because they couldn't let go of their addiction, first they lost their job, and then they lost their marriage, and then they lost their relationship with their kids, and then they lost their housing, and then they lost almost their sanity, and they got down and down and down, and until they allowed the Holy Spirit to come in, to this ancient old place of brokenness within them, they couldn't start to rebuild life again. And all the way down, there were people trying to help them, right? All the way down, there were people reaching out and saying, here's the way back to life. Here's the way back to life. There's still time. But there was a testimony I heard that I'll never forget. And it was a man who stood up and he said, it wasn't until I hit the very bottom of my journey that I found the presence of God. And that presence of God has made everything, changed everything in my life. Friends, I do not, again, I don't think God does this to people 
But what I want to suggest to you is if you are only looking for the presence of God in the blessings in your life, then you're missing half of the way God works because God also allows things to happen to wake us up. Because sometimes we need waking up. If you are only looking for the presence of God in the power you get and in the wealth you get, you're missing the warnings God sometimes tries to send us. You know what? I was talking to a family once. And they were not quite, well, the husband was not aware of how verbally abusive he was. The wife was aware of it. <laughs> That's why they were with me. And so we're trying to have this conversation, trying to, trying to make him more aware of what all was going on in his, in his behaviors. And he was so focused on the good things God was doing for him. And he was so focused on the blessings that God was given for him. And in his mind, the the tension in his marriage was of the devil. And so because of that, he was just ignoring it, which I, I kind of see that, right? I kind of see like the Satan is, is, is bringing up tension in the marriage. But what, what that blinded him to was the fact that the tension in his marriage was actually from him. And the tension in his marriage was, was this sign of God reaching out saying, you got work to do. You got sin that's unconfessed. You have a person you're hurting and you don't even know you're doing it. And because you're so unwilling to become aware that you're doing it, you're, you're hurting it yourself, right? And because he was so unwilling to see that, the marriage just went down and down and down because he was unwilling to see that hard moment in his life as potentially something God was using to get his attention. Now, again, I want to be super clear because I know I'm treading on very difficult theological ground and I am not saying God sends bad things into your life. But friends, I am saying this. Sometimes the difficult seasons that arrive in your life can be the biggest blessing of God if you get him, let him use them. And I am saying this. Sometimes hitting rock bottom is the greatest blessing you ever have if it means keeping your soul. Sometimes the difficult things that arise in your life are ways that God's trying to get your attention. Ways God's trying to say, look, you've got this wrong. You've got this wrong. You're worshiping the wrong person. And that is not an action of a God who hates you. That is an action of a God who loves you. That is an action of a God who loves you. Later on in Luke, uh, in Matthew, actually, we get this haunting, haunting. Uh, no, it's in Luke. I'm sorry. Someone go back and correct me. It's wherever Lazarus and the rich man was. It's a haunting parable. 99% sure it's Luke. Haunting parable. This poor man was standing outside Lazarus's, begging outside Lazarus's home his whole life. And Lazarus did nothing. Lazarus didn't invite him in. Lazarus didn't feed him. Lazarus did nothing. And when they died... The rich man went to torment, and the poor man went to heaven, and the rich man cried out, but if only I had known, if only I had known. And God says, you had all of the words of the scriptures. You had the words of the prophets. You had everything you needed to know. What we see in Daniel is a God who is using anything he can to get people's attention before they cry out, if only I had known. Because whether it is in the next life or whether it is in this life that you end up losing something that is incredibly valuable to you, 
God wants to get in. God wants you to live your life as a redeemed and holy, valuable and holy valued child of God. God wants you to be a person who is living full of love and full of life and full of blessing. But you know what you have to do? You have to actually let God get in and change you and restructure your priorities and restructure what you think you want in this life. And I'll tell you what, if you secretly think you are God, God needs to knock you off your high horse. And if he he doesn't, friends, it is not a loving parent who fails to correct their child. When I think back about that couple meeting with me, it is not a loving parent who allows a verbally abusive man to be completely unaware of his verbal abuse the entire time right? It is not a loving parent who allows somebody who is living destructively to just live destructively and never be pushed to change it. It is not a loving parent to perpetually protect one of his children from the consequences of their own actions if it means they never then allow God to let them in and change them. And what we see in this chapter, and this is why this chapter is so important, is that God loved Nebuchadnezzar so much that he went after him with everything so that he would not be lost forever. And he wasn't. Because what happened at the end of all of that is it worked. And the king of Babylon, per the story told to us in Daniel, started to acknowledge the, the God of Israel as God. Which if that is not a miracle, then what else is? This is what happens at the very end. At the same, so he, I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation and all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does nothing in his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say to him, what dost thou? And at the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. And now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all of his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to bring down. Friends, God did not bring Nebuchadnezzar to his knees in order just to humiliate him or in order to take everything away. God did not bring Nebuchadnezzar to his knees in order to hurt him. He did it to save his life and he did it to save his soul. Because Nebuchadnezzar was so caught in the delusion that he was right, that there was nothing else that was going to let the power of God get into him than hitting rock bottom. Now, friends, I pray that you and I have the humility to hear God before we hit rock bottom. I pray that you and I have the humility to acknowledge what inside of us needs to be changed before all those consequences come piling upon us. I pray that you and I have the humility and the softness of heart to hear that first warning and to get on our knees and to acknowledge that God is God and we are not. But I also pray that if the day comes when you find a consequence of your own making falling upon your head, you will receive it as the grace of God because sometimes it is. 
because sometimes it is. And sometimes it is only when we finally hit rock bottom that we are able to experience the mercy of God that was trying to get us back here. And I pray that whichever consequence finally gets our attention, that it it wakes us up and allows God to come in and allows God to do the work he needs to do. Because God's goal for you and for me and for all of us is not our death, it is our life. It is not our death, it is our life. God's goal is to give us back everything appropriately. God's goal is to give us blessing, but blessing that brings us life, not blessing that brings us death. Friends, I know that this is a hard message to hear depending on what point you're in, but it is an important one. Because, you know, I think back on that um, marriage I counseled, and you know what? It took some very, very hard moments in that man's life for him to wake up to the fact that he had a problem. I think back about that addiction center. It took some very, very hard moments in those men's life for them to wake up that they had a problem. I think back about so many different experiences that people have counseled in my life, and it took some very, very hard moments for them to wake up. But you know what happened after they turned around is that God poured out grace in abundance beyond measure and restored marriages and restored lives and restored fortunes even because God's intent was never to take away, it was to give. God's intent was never to take away, it was to give. Friends, wherever you are now, you might not need this message right now, but tuck it in your back pocket because there might come a day when you will. Wherever you are right now, lean into the power of God to make you into the person he wants you to be, to change you the way he needs to change you, to enliven you the way he needs to enliven you and to draw you ever, ever closer back to his presence, to his goodness, and to his grace. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Almighty God, God, you have given us so many things and we confess that, we confess that, um, We confess that there are times when we have only wanted to see your hand in the happy things and not the challenging things. We confess that there are times when we've only wanted to see your hand in when you lead us through the waters and not when you lead us through the desert. God, we confess that there are times we've only wanted to acknowledge you as a friend and not you as a king, you as a comforter and not you as a Lord, you as someone who loves us and not you as somebody who wants to form us and to shape us and to make us into the person you want us to be. And so God, forgive us, we pray. We are here and we are yours. Break us open where you need to break us open and fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might become fully and wholly yours. This we pray as we pray together the prayer our Lord taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For then is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.